0: going to get better. It's going to get better. That was my mantra all through residency. And then when I got out, it wasn't better, if not a little bit worse at that point. From Spa Damron Tenney, it's the Prosperous Doc Podcast. Real stories, real inspiration, real growth. A show for doctors who are ready to improve their overall wellness in every aspect of life. Now here's your host, Shane Tenney.
1: Welcome back. Uh, good to have you with us on today's episode. And I'm excited today because we're podcasting with a podcaster. Uh, in fact, our guest today was featured on our blog last year as one of the seven best physician podcast shows, at least in our humble opinion. And I'm excited to be here with uh, Dr. Erin Weissman, trained in family medicine. She's uh, in southwest Indiana, a farmer's wife, a mom of three. And in addition to working clinically, also has become a coach to female physicians around the country following her own struggles with burnout. She also launched the, uh, the Dr. Me First podcast I referenced, which has over 20,000 downloads, as far as I can tell, and, and really is built around having authentic conversations. And so we're going to talk with Dr. Erin in the first half about coaching and burnout issues. And then in the second half of the show, I thought we might dive into marriage and money issues. So Erin, thanks so much for being with us today.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. That was a great introduction. It's one of those things like until you have it all laid out at your feet, you're just like, well, holy shit, that's quite a bit of stuff.
1: <laughs> there you go. Well, look at all uh, look at all the runway you've got behind you now. So I want to start and maybe we'll dive into your story around your passion for coaching, uh, which I think came from some pretty difficult days earlier in your training. Maybe you can uh, start us off there.
0: Absolutely. So I always tell everybody 2014 worst year of my life to date. Though it was supposed to be the best. It was when I got out of residency, right? It was launching into practice. I was like done with the railroad tracks of medical education. But what I found myself in, instead of being at the top of the mountain and summited and celebrating and jumping around, I felt like I was at the very bottom of the pit and had no idea what I was going to do to get out and felt that I was living somebody else's life most days.
1: Yeah, what was going on that, that made it feel like such a thud? Well, I
0: think it was started way back in med school. I, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and definitely started having burnout back then and just kind of kept my head down and kept pushing through. It's gonna get better. It's gonna get better. That was my mantra all through residency. And then when I got out, it wasn't better, if not a little bit worse at that point. And so I just found myself in a position of, oh my God, did I just make the worst set of mistakes of my whole entire life? Did I literally go into a quarter of a million dollars of debt to just turn tail and run? What in the world
1: am I going to do? And what did you do?
0: <laughs> Everything we tell our patients not to do. I got on the internet and started Googling, how do I change my CV to a resume? Because at that point, I was out. I saw no other alternative than to just cut ties and leave at that point. I was the first doctor in my family. So I knew other people were making money and being okay outside of healthcare. And yeah, what I found was other doctors talking about the exact same thing at that point. Some were my age, some were older, some were even younger. And I was just like, what is going on? You know, this was supposed to be such an honorable career choice. We went into this because we really wanted to help and heal people why are there so many of us that are literally self-sacrificing a piece of ourselves so that we can escape? And it was from that that it led me to this coaching thing. I was like, whatever, take my money. If it'll help me, let's see what'll happen. Because I was so afraid to seek mental health services, to be perfectly honest. I didn't want my medical license to get banged up. I didn't want to sit in front of the Indiana State Medical Board because I admitted that I was burned out or that I wasn't happy in my career choice. Because at that point, in the thick of it, I really didn't know what was going on. I'm like, I don't think I'm depressed, but maybe I am. I don't think I have anxiety, but maybe I am. I don't think I'm going through a midlife crisis at like 30, but maybe I am. And so it was just all muddy at that point. And like I said, had got online, I had seen the happy MD, i had seen a bunch of other physician coaches at that point. And I thought, I just, I don't know, like, but if they can make this better, like take my money. And I ended up coaching with a woman called, her name's Philippa Keneally. She's out of California. She was a family medicine doc as well. I felt like I really resonated most with her. And so I bought like an online program before I even knew like what an online program was. And as I was working through it, I was like, I got to talk to this woman. And so got on a call, which is a discovery call now that I know as a coach. And just in that one call, I could feel something shift inside of me where I went from hopeless to a glimmer of hope, where I went from utterly alone to where I felt like I had someone on my side with it all.
1: And so how long did that relationship or your work with her how long did that last to kind of help you gain some footing and some traction
0: well honestly immediately like even after that first short phone call I felt like okay I'm not stuck I can do something so started working with her it was like twice a month meetings that I was meeting with her and really started not just making those external shifts like needing to change some things, being vocal, communicating well in my office setting, which were honestly things I hadn't learned in residency, but started having a lot of internal shifts. Like, hey, you don't have to be Superwoman. You can delegate some of those things. Really, those thought patterns that were keeping me trapped, like I've got to do everything. I've got to be super mom, super doctor, super community leader, really starting to evaluate what I was thinking. And was that actually what I wanted in my life? Was that actually still true? Because one perpetual thought for me is if I work harder, it will get better. So I just kept working harder and harder and harder and it wasn't getting better. So really evaluating that thought and being like, is this really serving me? Is this really what the truth is? And what I came to find for that is I had a lot of screwed up thought patterns that if I would speak them out loud, most people would be like, yeah, that's pretty true. But I had taken them to the extreme. And so that was really nice to have a coach to really dig into those, to have her reflect them back and look at them and perhaps in a different point of view. And and that's what really hooked me into coaching.
1: And was that you mentioned the word truth a minute ago. Is that part of the connection between the brand that you started around truth prescriptions? Talk a little bit about that.
0: Absolutely. So during those coaching sessions, I just told her, I feel like I need to do something. I need to speak my truth out in the world. I need to talk about this in some sort of way. So she challenged me in some after coaching homework to come up with some kind of project. And so literally what I did is I found an app on my phone and started making these social media squares, which I called I was writing truth prescriptions. And really, a lot of them were the words that I needed for myself. But I put them out on the internet and then bam right away people were picking them up resharing them and i realized like oh i have something here and so yeah that's where my branding started was making these little prescriptions of truth putting them out there and then getting a website to where they could have like a whole gallery of that and what transpired from that is the more i started doing it i actually had people starting to contact me about as i was talking about early provider burnout and i was like whoa 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 I'm not an expert. I'm just a girl posting things because she's like in the middle of the pit and wants to help other people maybe. But through those conversations, I realized I kind of like this. And where are all like the mom physician coaches because like we needed this stuff in med school. I needed this in med school and I didn't see anybody else doing it. So I thought, all right, there's a space. And that's where I jumped into coaching was because of just taking that one little step of action to try.
1: So your coaching really just happened organically, almost unintentionally, by just people reaching out to grasp a hold of some of the the truth prescriptions that that you were putting out there.
0: A hundred percent. And what really cemented it in is when I wrote my first article for Kevin M.D., and it was entitled, Burnout Almost Ruined My Life. And it was kind of my coming out story. And at that time, like I said, so it was like five, almost six years ago now when i distributed that it was such a catalyst for other people to stand up and say yeah me too but i haven't been i haven't had the courage to speak this out loud thank you so much and it was amazing how that just magnetized what i was doing and made me realize that this wasn't just like a crazy idea and that i also wasn't alone in it and by me speaking up about it by me proclaiming like hey i'm a burnout coach and i want to help you it was helping other people deal with the issues that they were having, too.
1: Now, in is professional coaching and life coaching, uh, do you feel like that's becoming more widespread among physicians, or is there still a lot of stigma or, or stereotypes around it, kind of like what you wrestled with?
0: I think absolutely it's catching on. I have seen a huge blossoming, especially in the last two years, of other physicians becoming coaches. And because of that, because of seeing like this surge of doctors saying like, Oh my God, this is a great tool. We need to use this for each other. I actually started a second business called the Physician Coaching Alliance. So what the Alliance does, it is just putting a platform out there to anybody who's an MD, DO and also coaches to say, Hey, we think this is a great tool. We think this is a way that we can help our colleagues. And we want to band together as a community rather than competition with each other. Because we know if we collaborate, if we go into institutions, if we talk colleague to colleague, this is going to spread like wildfire rather than each of us being like a lone wolf in our little communities and doing this. So it's been amazing over the last year about getting physician coaches together. We meet on a regular twice a month basis. We have a regular communication group that we use in Slack. And it's just been another catalyzing force, recognizing like, hey, there's a need, and maybe I can help with this, that we've gone from a group of 10, now we're all all the way up over the, to 40.
1: Wow. And I think you've shared, and I've heard from others that even, as you pointed out, the fear about, oh, I'm going to go talk to somebody about feeling burnout or my anxiety or my depression, and then I'm going to find myself in front of the medical board having to defend the fact that here's why I need help. We're already seeing state medical boards become more understanding of the burnout issue and the, the healthy remedies to, to address that, right?
0: I think so. There's still a lot of bylaw changes that need to take place on a state-to-state level. I'm sorry, but you don't need to know my mental health history from the last three decades. I think that there, for too long as physicians, we have lit our own private information Kind of be displayed out on the altar of the licensing boards. And so there's still a lot of work to be done. And I know there's a lot of state organizations, medical associations that are working with their states to get the verbiage and the wording different, changing it from like seeking all of that past history to looking at in this present moment, are you healthy and capable to take care of patients well? So I think there are changes happening. However, it's very slow. And the other thing too is, There's not always a lot of vocal doctors like myself who want to get up and perhaps sacrifice ourselves and say, listen, why would we ask this of patients? And yet we're not doing this for our providers and giving examples. Because right now, physician suicide is the dirty little secret right now of healthcare, And I look at it, too, not just as loss of life, but look at how many career suicides we're going through right now. Right, Medical student-wise, it's 50-50 male-female. We know when a woman leaves residency or fellowship training, within six years, we're only retaining about 40% of female physicians as a full-time level. So if you actually break that down by the numbers, we go from 50% of the population and cut that back by another 50-60%. So then that's why as female physicians working full-time, we're only about 20 or 30% in the marketplace. And so I look at that as women are sacrificing their career because we're not meeting them where their needs are. We're not recognizing the invisible workload of women on top of being a high-level, high-functioning medical practitioner. And, and yet we're saying, well, what's wrong with you? But we're not giving an avenue for women to say, well, this is what's wrong with me and this is how I see we can help and change because there's so much fear in the system of coming out, admitting I need help or just saying, hey, there's some injustices and inequality within our system that not everybody wants to be that whistleblower.
1: Mm -hmm. And as you coach women all around the country, what are some of the unique uh, challenges or fears that you see present that? don't exist within male physicians?
0: Well, you know, honestly, I think that there's a lot of similarities between our female and male colleagues. It's just we express them differently. So with women, we know as far as with burnout symptoms, we're more likely to express apathy and saying that this is really a problem for us because we're no longer feeling connected to our patients and we no longer feel like we- that were invested in our work, where men more commonly expressed exhaustion. Now women do too, but I'm just saying, like top symptoms. And so I don't think it's so much gender difference when people come to me. But the questions that most come to me, or the the words that I hear them saying, is I feel so stuck. I feel overwhelmed. I'm extremely frustrated. I have no idea what to do. I don't know how I got here. I don't know how I'm getting out. So, very like fixed, like quicksand type of feeling in that stuckness. And so, my question to them always is I guess my picture I paint for them first is like, well, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So, today we're just going to take one good bite. Tell me what your greatest struggle is in this moment right now. And really focusing them back in because we start getting in this thought tornado. We're like, oh my God. I hate my job. Oh, my God. What am I going to do if I quit my job? Oh, my God. My kids are going to be out on the street and we are not going to have any food and we're going to be homeless. Like we go to that in five seconds. So it's really about like centering back in and being like in this moment, what is the greatest struggle right now?
2: Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm.
0: really identifying that. And then that's what you tackle. And then you take the next best step in the next bite. And then you tackle that. And before too long, then you're like, oh, I've taken quite a few steps now. That's why I'm feeling a little bit better. But I think it's really important to emphasize to our guests that are listening today that is really keying in is, do you have hope that things can change? Because if I have a doctor that comes to me, and even if I ask them, hey, are you having suicidal thoughts? Because right now, about 40% of us are. And they say, no, 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 Wiseman, that's not an issue right now. But if I ask them, you know, do you have hope? that things are going to change. And they're like, I don't really know. That's a huge red flag that you, my friend, are at risk for harmful behavior or suicide. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to put that out to anybody is that if you feel a lack of hope at this point, please, please, please reach out and talk with someone because there's always, always going to be change. You are not stuck.
1: Yeah, excellent. And to that point, for any folks who are listening that are resonating with what you're saying, we're going to put uh, the contact information for Dr. Aaron's website and and other resources in the show notes. And and at the end here, I'll I'll have you give a shout out to uh, how folks can get in contact with you. I want to take a quick break and then shift gears a little bit to your own story around marriage and money.
2: I'm Will Coster. Bring you this episode's financial wellness tip. In a previous episode, I discussed the idea of a savings snowball. The gist is that when you pay off a liability like a car, it is important to start saving that monthly payment before it gets washed down the spending stream and becomes part of your spending habits. I want to expand on this idea and propose that automatic savings are one of the biggest contributors to our client's long-term success. If you think about it, your 401k savings are set up this way automatically deducted from your paycheck each month. You barely have to exert any discipline to save to your 401k. Savings as part of your monthly cash flow, however, requires the discipline to stick to a budget and avoid the keeping up with the Joneses mentality. Automatic savings can have a big psychological effect on how you view your finances. The automatic savings starts to feel like an expense that you build your budget around, somewhat like a mortgage. When you boil it down, a mortgage payment is actually a form of automatic savings. Our philosophy is that if you automate savings, your budget and lifestyle will naturally fall into place. The key takeaway, save first and make it automatic and mindless. For this episode's financial wellness tip, I'm Will Coster.
1: All right, we're still here with Dr. Aaron uh, Weissman and uh, appreciate your your candid conversation just around coaching and the stress that physicians and providers face every day. I know you're married, you've got three kids. you live on a farm in Southwest Indiana, and that just regular life isn't easy in and of itself. Your husband is an entrepreneur as well, is that right?
0: He is. So our backstory is, when I was in medical training, he was actually an elementary school teacher, a basketball coach, and he farmed on his family's farm. It's a little bit over a thousand acres. And so then when I launched out into practice, I was like, look, dude, you got to pick a career, just like I've got to pick a career. And like, we need a stable parent. Again, I was grasping for straws because everything was crazy. We had two kids at that point. And his dream was always to be the farm manager on the family farm. He taught because then that gave him like afternoons and evenings to work on the farm. And it was just to the point that he loved coaching basketball. He's great at it, but that kind of came hand in hand with the teaching position. So we did it. We made the jump. I was in medical practice, even though it was a struggle. That was kind of our stable job. And he jumped into farming full time and yeah, became an entrepreneur. That was 2015.
1: And what were the what were the money dynamics like between you and Craig as you kind of navigated through training and his career and his business dreams and your business dreams?
0: Well, it's really funny. We both come from different money story backgrounds. And even though both grew up in the Midwest, pretty similar money beliefs like that, nothing shows you how differently you think from a person than being married to someone and sitting down with a checkbook. And so that was actually a huge struggle in our marriage early on. I was very much like, everything has to balance, you need to put it in the checkbook, we need to budget every single week to know what's happening, very like control freaky about it. And he was very much more of the free spirit, like, "Ah, the ATM says we still got money, it's fine, or it'll come in, no problems. And so it was a struggle that we really had to work through. And what I realized it really wasn't him, because so many times I wanted to be like, why can't you just do this? Why can't you give me your receipt so I can write them down? It was actually more about stuff that I needed to look at for me. Because like I said, I was very control freak about it. And why that was is because I had a a lot of fear and scarcity around money. I grew up, I would say, lower middle class. I was kind of always taught, you know, work hard so that you can make money. Always money had a lot of drama around it for me with paying bills and that sort of thing, just because of my family of origin. And so I brought that into our relationship unknowingly. And so after sitting down, and part of it too was just learning that trust. I'm a very alpha female, like don't get in my way. I will figure things out. So marriage has definitely been a challenge for me as far as learning to trust my partner in life and know that I can rely on him. It really doesn't always have to be me. And also recognizing that his point of view wasn't wrong, it was just different. And so, with that, we kind of came to a compromise. One, we started, we learned how to use I statements. And so, anybody who's didn't done any kind of couples, marriage, therapy, counseling, whatever, I statements is a great way to communicate with your spouse how you are feeling without placing blame on that other person. So, it's saying like, I feel stressed out when I go to sit down and do the checkbook and I see that the numbers aren't right. Notice I didn't say you in that. I didn't accuse him in any ways. And so, really focusing on when we communicate, he would then say, Well, I feel stressed out when I come home and the bills are being done and there's accusations being thrown. Again, not using you statements, but just really laying out how we feel how that impacts you and the outcome of it. So I would encourage anybody, Google it. You can get worksheets. You can go to Pinterest, use I statements. It's a great tool to start communicating in a really stressful situation about and really helping you identify how you feel and why you feel that way, the events triggering that. And then the other thing was weekly budget meetings for us. Sitting down, not evidently having the Excel spreadsheet out, but just being like, what are the bills coming up this week? What should we anticipate where are we at again just communicating through that not evidently crunching the numbers and now we've even spaced that out a little bit further but he has always been one that loves to write checks i always wanted to do the like electronic withdrawals but we realized we kind of had to do a combination of that and by sitting down and having those conversations weekly writing out the checks and the bills it's made us really come together and communicate over kind of our money disputes.
1: Yeah, and help just it, it sounds like while well, you come from different backgrounds, just using the eye statements and then just having conversations about the reality of what's happening and then we can work together from there, is that kind of what Absolutely. you've seen help help you function in a more healthy way there?
0: Yeah, facts over feelings is what I tell a lot of people. What are the actual facts? And knowing that that number is neutral, it's neither good nor bad, but just saying these are the facts and trying to separate just for a moment the feelings that are coming off of that. So then you can kind of dissect those feelings and be like, why am I feeling anxious when the checkbook gets under a certain amount of money? Well, maybe it's because something in your life happened when, say, the checkbook dropped under $1,000. And you're afraid something bad is going to happen again. Maybe it's some sort of belief that was installed in you as a young kid, like you need to keep X amount of money in your savings account, because that actually is security, even though it's kind of full security, because it could go in any moment. It still is a security blanket, per se, that that's why you're feeling that way. But again, separating facts over feelings to just look at it and be like, yep, we got to pay the mortgage this month. We got to pay the insurance. This is what it's looking like. Okay, now let's talk about how we're feeling about it.
1: And as your, your business and your passion around coaching and podcasting, as that's grown, you've made some shifts to your clinical schedule, which, of course, has a, a financial impact as, as well, right? So talk a little bit about how you both, you and Craig, came to kind of that mutual uh, understanding and, and decision.
0: Sure. So, like I said, he transitioned to entrepreneurial world. And then a few years later, I did the same thing. I went from being an employed physician to being a 1099 contract physician. And it felt like his was part one and mine was part two after that. And then, yeah, then my business developing more and becoming pretty much the breadwinner again, but in a different way. It's been really interesting that we just can't keep talking about the numbers. We keep having conversations. Late in 2018, the numbers got tight and the savings account zeroed out at that point. And things got really, really real. And it was a really good, I say now good, good trying point because it really helped us prioritize, okay what in our life is necessary and absolutely must haves? What are the things that have been frivolous, but we felt like they were important? And then really keying in on if this, if, if I want to do this, if I want to do coaching, if you want to run the farm and do our, our own business, where do we need to dig in and push just a little bit more? which is a little bit different when you're employed because it's just like you work your schedule, the paycheck comes every two weeks. Yeah, you complain about the lunch meetings and the early mornings and that sort of thing. But when you're out on your own running your own business, it's very interesting. It's a very different dynamic when it when the money does get tight and you really do have to look and say, okay, how how and where can we flex? Because honestly, at that point, Worst case scenario, we're like, okay, we're going to start digging into retirement funds. Like, what can we liquidate? And we kind of had a plan, but we didn't jump into crisis mode because we knew, okay, we can do some other things before you know we go there. And so I would say that it's definitely been a journey. It's, yeah. And it's made us stronger as a couple. And then also as a business owner, it's really helped me recognize what I call MGAs, Money Generating Activities yeah, it's nice to have a beautiful website and social media presence, but what really are the things that puts checks in the bank and understanding that? And for me, like I said, when the the bank account hit zero, it was time for mommy to buckle up and get her butt back in the hospital and make Mm -hmm. some money. And so that's what I did for a little while, knowing that it wasn't gonna be a forever thing, but I definitely needed some money generating activities to keep our necessaries going. And that was a nice thing to realize that it wasn't the end of the line. I wasn't going to have to give up on the business, just going to have to pivot a little bit.
1: In your conversations and coaching with physicians around the country, do do finances come up routinely or how often do, do finances surface as, as areas of struggle or stress?
0: Absolutely. Almost every first conversation, I always am talking about doctors about the golden handcuffs. So it's like, we look at our jobs, we look at our careers and you know, I specifically work with physicians through transition and burnout. And so they're coming to me and they're like, "Aaron, I hate what I'm doing, but I can't leave because of the gold hand up. I mean, they have these nice little diamonds and a paycheck and everything that's so nice with them. So really getting their head wrapped around the finances and understanding is X amount of money, what you're making right now, is Does that equal the happiness that you're having right now? Because I don't think so. <laughs> and and also looking at it too, because you know the complications of student loans. For so long, we've lived in delayed gratification that when we get out and we do have the big paycheck, we tend to spend it. But so understanding those ramifications, and then also I look at them and say, what's more important, the paycheck that you have or the future potential happiness, sustainability, and joy in your life? And they're like, well, yeah. And especially when I'm talking to moms is like, do you want your kids to grow up with a stressed out, frustrated, burned out mom? Or do you want them to say, yeah, mom was a super happy. And she was a doctor too. And she did things differently. And most of the time, just finding why you want to change that. But it is, it is a struggle because we make good money to realize that a change is probably going to change that salary. Not always. I would say a good majority of the time is I help physicians transition to life and work that they love. They actually make more money because they're in the middle of their flow. They find a job that really is more aligned with their values and with the schedule that they want to keep. And it's so much easier to work and to put that ful- fulfillment in there. And so I wouldn't say it's always a step down, and it's definitely never a step down, but there can come some waves where it definitely changes things. But like I remind physicians all the time, you can do hard things. Look at your past. You've already done so many hard things. So what if you buckle up for six months, knowing that the seas are gonna get a little rough? And then after that, you'll have some more smooth sailing. And so I would say a hundred percent of the time we're we're talking about money because money's not just the number in the bank. There's so much more wrapped around it.
1: Yeah. Yep. Dr. Aaron Weissman, as uh, we wrap up here, let me throw you one last question, which is: um, you you talk with, you coach, you empathize with with your colleagues, docs all around the country. We this year, 2020, is shaping up to be a really stressful one. There's a lot going on. There's healthcare crises. There's financial crises. What uh, do you have some parting words that you might share with your colleagues who are listening today?
0: I would say reminding yourself and centering yourself that. In this moment, you are okay. And keep going back to that. Even when it feels like everything around you is a whirlwind and a cluster, just reminding yourself and centering yourself in what are the tangibles right now. And if they are not okay, reaching out and asking for help. It is never, ever a sign of weakness to consult another physician when you need help in a patient case. So it should never be a sign of weakness when you need to ask for help for another professional in your life, be it a financial professional, be it an emotional professional like what I do. I think it's just Mm -hmm. knowing that the only things that we really truly can control are ourselves and what's going on between our ears and just reminding ourselves that we do have control of that. And the other stuff that we don't have control of, asking for help, making those small steps and shifts where you can And then staying connected, I think it's so important to have your tribe and your community around you supporting you.
1: Yep. And if folks would like to have you in their tribe or community and reach out for help, go ahead and give a shout out. How do they track you down?
0: Well, you're obviously a podcast listener. So come on over to Dr. Me first, hang out with me, get some sassy, encouraging conversations that I have with other female physicians that hopefully will bring some encouragement and inspiration into your life. We talk about all topics. Nothing is off the table. And I try to give you a little kick of encouragement at the end of each one. So come on over to Dr. Me first and hang out. If you like Instagram or LinkedIn, I would love to connect with you on there as well. I think Instagram is a bl- great place to post all those pictures. And I think link- LinkedIn is the in professional community space to even if you're not looking for a job, it's just really fun to be around other professionals who are forward thinking and really want to elevate our colleagues. So come hang out with me me there. And if you are a physician and a coach, I would encourage you to go check out the Physician Coaching Alliance, just physiciancoachingalliance.com. You can see all of us hanging out there, the great things that we are doing in the healthcare space to to promote coaching in a way that is not woo-woo, but evidence-based and truly helping others.
1: Awesome. Well, Aaron, thanks so much for uh, for dropping a little Wiseman wisdom on us today. I appreciate you being here. And thanks you for listening, uh, for giving us part of your day. Thanks for your support and encourage you to check out Dr. Me First podcast. If you've got ideas, suggestions, questions for future episodes, you can email me directly, shane at com, And you can track us down on all social media lines as well. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. We'll see you back here next time.
0: This episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast is over, but you're not alone on your journey. Spa Dameron has been helping physicians and dentists prosper through financial planning for over 60 years. To connect with us, visit sdtplanning.com today and take your financial wellness to new levels. Join us
2: on the next episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast.